So nice of you guys. <laughs> you gave us a warning. I did. Cause Is this I'm a traditional a... one where I have to come up with a topic. No, I'm going to feed you a topic. Oh, I got a, I got a couple topics. <laughs> oh, perfect. We'll pick the most crazy one. Uh, oh, I welcome got to one. Practical Shooting After Dark. <laughs> On deck tonight, we have a man that needs no introduction, Mr. Quanchit Kim. Hello. And Matt Hopkins. Hi. Uh, ben has some stuff to do tonight, so I am going to uh, do my best not to what, run this plane into the mountain. Um, Matt, the first thing I want to talk about is the area director yes. position that you are running for. If I believe, I was looking for my email, I believe register uh, voting open is it like beginning of july i think july 1st voting opens yeah i don't know when this is gonna air but you'll basically if you're a member as of may 1st in area 3 you're eligible to vote for the area 3 election uh it's between me and another person uh i guess we'll talk about why i want you to vote for me during this right Yes, we will. Uh, well, the <laughs> other person that's running against you is uh, Don Rush. Yeah. Uh, I asked Don to come on this podcast or to have a podcast, just the two of you, that I would kind of mediate. And uh, basically, you guys would both get the questions ahead of time. Um, so you'd be prepared. You could have, you know, answers uh, already thought up. But uh, for whatever reason, Don declined my offer. So whatever. Um, so, Matt. I don't know that this is even going to be a close election, but I still want to grill you about uh, some topics. Yeah, go ahead. I'm ready. Uh, okay. Uh, first, what do you feel are the main responsibilities of an area director? Well, the probably the number one responsibility is making sure the area match happens. There's a couple ways you could do that. You can fully run the match, be match director, do all the setup, get all the prizes, get the range and all that. Or you could delegate it out to an existing club and they can run the match and you can have a little oversight or you can have like, it's basically you can pick and choose how, how involved you want to be with it. And it just depends on the area director. I've seen where they don't do anything and they delegate it out to a club and that club does everything. I've seen it where the area director does everything and they basically like just find a range to host it at. So that's probably the number one thing. The other thing is like represent the area members at a, at board meetings and vote as part of the board of directors for USPSA. Okay. Those are the core responsibilities. That makes sense. Uh, so why do you feel you're qualified to be an area director then? So I think the, the number one qualifying thing was I've helped run the local range and been on the board of directors there for multiple years. Mm -hmm. So I run USPSA matches at a local level, helping, assisting with free state when possible. Like if you guys like want to get a taste of what area three will be next year, come out to free state this year. Cause I'm doing the stages and doing the stage setup. So if that means anything, like, I guess that'll be kind of, I, I want to have at least oversight on the stages that the area match is going to put on, no matter if I'm involved in running it or some other club is like, I don't want to duplicate what is happening now. I don't think it's a, a fair test. Like there's too many other factors that take away from the actual shooting portion of the current area three matches. So I will not continue that tradition. 
<laughs> okay. <laughs> um, the other thing I think, uh, obviously I'm voting for Matt. Obviously we're friends, but I, the fact that we're friends uh, honestly doesn't influence my voting. One of the things uh, that I like about you, Matt, is that you compete at a very high level and you understand competitive equity and what makes a match interesting. And I, right. not to talk, I guess, unkindly about the other candidates, but I I don't feel that that's, uh, frankly, Don doesn't bring that to the table. So I think that's something very large. Don uh, is an RO, I know, at a lot of matches, but I don't know that officiating necessarily or being an RO qualifies you. And, I mean, just being open, I like the fact that you, you compete at a high level, you understand what makes stages interesting, you understand what makes matches interesting, you understand where... Uh, you know, at a high level, you're there to win a match. Uh, yeah. You know, large issues that happen. Match flow. This is a match flow is a big one. Uh, this is a competition. Like, I think the current administration has gotten away from that in their way of thinking. They go to more of a participation. Like, as long as you're shooting and attending the matches, like, that's good enough. I think that's great and all. We got to have people that come out and shoot. But this is a competition. We should award people for winning and and doing well based on division, class, all that kind of stuff. So, Yes, and the results, I mean, the, the scores have to be right. The stages have to be yeah. fair for everyone, like yep. you said, competitive equity. That's that's a, a pretty quick way to get me not to go to a match, just by just talking crazy. Like, if, if, it's, if it's the stages I don't feel aren't going to be fair for everyone, or, you know, just like match flow is going to be an issue, like, yep, that might not be the place for me. So, yeah. anyway, in my book, that's quite huge. Yeah. Um, one of the and biggest then, things when I've been I was doing the stages for Free State this year was like thinking how fast this stage would run, and mm -hmm. what's before it and what's after it, so we don't have any backups. We don't have people waiting for another squad to finish, and like that's what I'm tweaking right now before we submit them for to DNROI or whatever. So that sounds awesome. Um, and I've looked at some of uh, I just happened to have a peek at some of those stages, and they look good. So yeah, they look uh, interesting. I'm excited. I'll be attending that match, of course. Um, and then, I mean, honestly, some people don't care about the rest of this crap we've been talking about. All they really care is about the area match. So I mean, a lot, you know, like, for the people on a national level, like, that only affects a couple hundred people, right? Mm -hmm. But, like, all those, that stuff, like, filters down at, at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, you have the, the latest changes with the rules where they didn't follow the bylaws where it said, wait three months to put something into effect like they just like forced it into effect right away and didn't see like what repercussions or what issues would come out of that and i think like sticking with the three-month rule like if you make a change you roll it out ideally you should talk about the changes beforehand you should talk to people in the area and see what they think and then you should go to a board meeting vote on it and then it becomes a national like that you'll get national feedback at that point and then you have mm -hmm. three three months for people to give feedback that they can give all these people that came out with these heavy flashlights and like frame weights and maybe this wasn't a good idea at level two and higher maybe we should have just done a level one exemption on this and then they change the rule back to what maybe like stuff like that i think the stuff in the bylaws should be followed like to a t otherwise you're just out there doing whatever you want it doesn't make any sense I agree. And by giving it that three months, you have times for all the heavy hitter competitors to find holes in it. You'd be like, exactly, oh, yeah. I did not know somebody was going to think to do that. Let me second guess some of these rules. Let I might want to revise this. Let me add a brass frame weight to this with a keychain light on it and see. 
Good for that company that's doing it. Like, it's smart. Like, people buy it. People mm-hmm. buy anything for any perceived advantage. And a troll. Well, yeah, but... Yeah. I think the online listing is more of a troll than anything else. <laughs> this is true. Um, oh, I want to talk briefly, uh, again, just to beat you up a little bit about the area match, or question, I guess, a little bit. Um, should people expect the area match to go to a different range, rotating around? Do you think it should stay where it's at? Do you ha- Maybe it's so, too early to talk about that. So I've actually been thinking about this. Like, as soon as I announced, I've been kind of thinking about this. Like, it all depends on if I get elected or not, right? Sure, of course. But I don't actually see the ra- the match staying in Grand Island. I know Sherwin has a pretty good relationship there. I don't think they have a big enough local, like, club to help support that. They don't. It's all people from outside. Yeah. So I don't foresee it staying in Grand Island. I know they have a relationship with Hornady also there because that's mm-hmm. kind of like their home range. I don't know what will come out of that or anything. I actually haven't even talked to the people at Hornady at this point. Um, I think there's basically five ranges that can host area three to the level that I want it to be at, uh, Minnesota two in Nebraska, one Kansas, one Missouri. So I, it'll have to be in one of those five. I, I have a pretty good idea what I'll do the first year with it. And then we'll see what happens after that, but I'm totally okay with it moving around. It'll probably be more club ran than, Basically, me running the match or something like that, depending on where it's at. So we'll see. Um, yeah, so I don't think it'll stay in Grand Island at all. Okay. I have a couple of questions, if if I can. Yes, ask. of course. Yes, of course, if you don't mind answering. Yeah, so, go ahead. Uh, uh, you kind of mentioned about, you know, we already talked about how you were uh, competing in many other regions and higher level competitions. I think you ha- you know uh, what it is like to connect to competitors already. Uh, but one thing I remember is that you went to many board meetings. Is that correct? So I've been to one in-person mm-hmm. board meeting before, yes. Mm-hmm. Would you say you understand how the board meetings and how the board works? I do. I do have a pretty good idea. I, would, I think mm-hmm. I would have a pretty good idea. I think that there can be some vast improvements from what I've mm-hmm. heard from some current board members is that they don't get the agenda or talk about any of the topics or any of the changes that people want to have happen or rule changes Mm -hmm. or anything before the actual meeting. Mm -hmm. And at the meeting, I think it's the last point that you should be talking about it. You should basically be voting on the change at that point, if there is going to be a change and Mm -hmm. you should do this discussion and, like back and forth beforehand. Like it could Mm. be through email, it could be through phone or anything like that, or just like virtual meetings. Like to to get a topic as big as changing the holster placement or magnets and flashlights and all that, Mm. to like get that proposed and then like have discussion on it and thought of all the possibilities Mm -hmm. and like all the repercussions and then actually have a vote on it like within a day and a half or two days doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounds like the rule change has to be actually thought through and yeah, researched. 100%, yeah, percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one last question is: yeah. uh, I understand you are in the gun industry. Yes. And uh, as far as I know, you're the marketing side of the company. Is it okay to ask? Well, and I you get like talk the shooting to, team mm-hmm. portion is under the marketing department, and my actual full time job is under operations. So I'm yeah. kind of in both. 
Would you say you're gonna you're qualified to bring or have skill to bring more industries to the sports too? I think this is an interesting topic. I mm-hmm. think you have to get it where there has to be value to the companies first. Mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely some ways to improve that. Like, I think the biggest thing is we don't, like the current administration thinks that the firearms manufacturers should pay USPSA to put promotional material Mm -hmm. in with their product. And just as an example, like we ship and per year more Shadow 2s than there are USPSA members. So why would we pay USPSA the privilege to get our customers? Like, if USPSA was smart, they would print out pamphlets. They would ask us to put those pamphlets in the guns that we already sell. Mm -hmm. And, like, USPSA has good enough relationship with enough manufacturers right now where this would be possible. So they print a couple hundred thousand pamphlets and put them in with Walther Q5s, put them in with Shadow 2s, put them in with, like, Optic Ready P10s. Like, they could get a couple hundred of those pamphlets out to actual end users that would see those they can have a scannable qr code pull up a video and show like somebody actually shooting a match and having like show the lifestyle of uspsa mm-hmm. and then they can like click through that and find their local club bro i like that so if i were to vote my ideal candidate that i will vote is somebody who understands the competitors so competition itself and the how to uh, do the board stuff so organization part and the industry, gun industry part. It sounds like you're very qualified to me. Well, thank you very much. I think Matt checks those boxes as well. Good. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Matt, anything else you want to say before we move on? I appreciate you letting me uh, interrogate you. No, no, it was good. Uh, voting opens July 1st. We already went over this, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. You'll get a card in the mail, or you can log on to USPSA website and vote on there. So. That's it. Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Kim. Yes. Professor, do you have a topic for us? Yes, I do. So uh, this one is more gun related. I'm sure some people like guns and buy guns. So so I recently shot two gun nationals, uh, which was the first nationals, two gun nationals in USPSA. So it was very interesting how the uh, divisions were. First, uh, when they announced, I was like, what kind of divisions they're going to have? But it was pretty simple. It's open and limited, only two divisions. But the interesting thing is there's no power factor limit. Uh, there's no even minor. They, there wasn't chronograph at the match, no nothing. So I was really curious how the gun's going to turn out. So I just simply brought my carry optics gun with a magwell and a long stick magazine. Uh, so I looked around and see what people's gun, especially the pistol. I mean, everybody mm-hmm. had to shoot PCC. So PCC side, there's nothing too much interesting variation. Uh, so just looking at the top five of uh, open division, uh, top five, there was two shooters in top five had open open gun with a major load, just like a USPSA open gun. They were just literally shooting USPSA open gun with a major power factor load. And uh, other two shooters was shooting a interesting, just a... Uh, it's like a carry optics gun with a compensator on. Uh, one of them was 2011, so it's kind of like the new model from uh, STI Sakato, uh, like the 2011 with slide mount optic and then compensator with a minor load. Uh, 
that was uh, actually the winner's gun, so 2011. And then another dude who was in top five was shooting a Glock with a compensator and slide mount optic and a flashlight and a magwell. So uh, that was pretty interesting combo I saw. And I think right now some gun companies are making those type of guns, so compensated open gun but slide mount optic. So mm -hmm. I know a lot of the three gun shooters been using that. Sorry, actually three shooters were using that. So there was actual STI, uh, one of the slide mount one, and then custom gun, 2011, and then Glock with a compensated gun. So I thought that was very interesting uh, place to shoot if you have some kind of open gun, but you don't want to shoot major power factor on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think two gun is going to be a perfect place to bring your, uh, you know, weird custom minor open gun and shoot it. And I think, I mean, already IPSC had something division for that, uh, something similar. It's called modified, I think. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. think it was. They did away with that, I think, though, right? Yeah, they, yes. they actually kill divisions when they don't have participation. Yes. Oh, okay. Interesting so, idea. <laughs> when I was looking at all these guns, I was thinking maybe IPSC was thinking too ahead and the trend couldn't uh, cooperate with the division. So I was just thinking that was pretty interesting uh, because I really didn't think when I saw slight mount optic gun with a compensator, Mm -hmm. I didn't see, like, there's no place to run it except 3-gun. And now 2-gun has uh, room for that. And I think that's a very perfect gun, to be honest. Uh, because so actually, major... one of the board members brought that division up and tried to add that division to, to USPSA. USPSA. Yeah. In the February board meeting. Hmm. Huh? What was that division going to be called? It's like single-action carry optics, I think, or something like that. We need a single stack, single action red dot too, for like the open, like the Bianchi single guns. Single stack open. Yeah, single stack open, but it has yeah, to be I a think single that's stack. A good one. I was just thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry I have a way to fix that, but I'm not going to talk <laughs> about it here. It's too early on. Okay. <laughs> uh, that sounds like fun. So a lot of different guns yes. basically bring anything you want to bring. Yes, exactly. Is there any advantage to one over the other? Like, was did major power factor? have an advantage at all only the fact that it's working the compensator a little better could yeah. have been uh but i personally haven't shot the minor open gun with the major open gun i've experienced some major open gun it's pretty flat it's very good uh major open gun is compensator working perfect so your dot comes back but i've never shot a minor open gun so i can't speak to that uh were there any knockdown poppers there or steel Yes, there were many. Uh, tell me more. Did anybody have issues? Were it just like the plates, or did anybody have issues shooting them and them not falling due to having too light of, you know, ammo? Uh, at least not in my squad. Okay. Uh, but the good thing is you are able to shoot either gun on the steel target, any steel target. Okay. So if you bring, I don't know, like 90 power factor ammo, you, th that's not the worst case scenario. You could still shoot it with a PCC. Gotcha. There were also static plates that didn't fall, I saw, right? Yes. Those are See, far ones, usually. Yeah. Those, do those have, like, the hit indicator with, like, the flashing light or something that shows that you hit it, or somebody just calls out hit? Nobody. There's no indication, no hit signs. 
so it's up to you to judge if it was a hit or not. I, I think the judge was actually the hit mark on the plate. Okay. Yeah. So if you have a glaze or diameter of your bullet, uh, it's a hit. Okay. Mm -hmm. We have those uh, hit marker, whatever. Like it's like a flashing red light, like a stoplight that like. Yeah, but that's more than a hundred yards away, though, right? Yeah. You shoot with a proper rifle with a carbine with a yeah. five five six gun. What was the farthest distance? 90, 80 yards or something like that? No. On the matchbook, they said 75 was the maximum. Uh, but I think the furthest shot wasn't actually 75. I think it was just a little bit closer. So uh, 70 yards. Something like that, I, I would yeah. say. Yeah. Very cool. They were AC zones or whatever? Uh, they were square targets. Square targets, okay. Yeah. Like a 12-inch square or something. Mm -hmm. And they, they actually have the USPSA uh, AC zone human size target too, or human shaped target. They have multiple different shapes. Uh, so it's either circle, square, or USPSA resemblance shape. Nice. Mm. like it. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, for my topic, you know, we, I mean, we get questions fairly often where it's, uh, I'm going to take a class. What should I be thinking about or what should I bring or... Should I bring pen and paper, that kind of stuff? Uh, I have a little bit of a, a tale to tell from when Ben was uh, at my range doing classes, whatever it was, maybe a month ago. So this is a personality type that I like very much. So I won't, I won't name the person, but the guy is, I'll say middle to maybe, not being unkind, lower skill. So he's still, he's still learning, still, you know, got a lot of room to grow. And uh, so this guy, anytime... Like, so, so the rule is, you know, like when everybody's on the line shooting, you're hot. Uh, you know, if, if it's not your turn to shoot, you can get up and dry fire. This guy, like every time he's not shooting and he can be on the line handling his gun, he's up there like dry firing the drill, trying to do better. Anytime Ben gives correction to like the next person over, he's like, yeah, you're not, you know, you're not gripping the gun, using more your support hand. Like I see this guy look down and he's like, oh, am I using enough support hand? Like anytime Ben gives correction to somebody, this guy's like, hey, maybe I'm doing that. Could I be doing this better? Uh, every drill, like, he's always engaged. And, like, over two days, you know, we said at the beginning of the class, oh, you know, you might not get better. We're going to work on some things. You should take away stuff to your training, whatever. This guy is, like, I would say noticeably better. Again, maybe just due to, you know, this is the most he shot at one time or whatever. Uh, but this is a personality type I like a lot and I would like to see more in classes. He was constantly paying attention. It didn't matter if Ben was giving him directly being like, hey, Matt, you need to. It could be the guy, two, di two guys down on the, on the line that's not doing something. He's getting some kind of correction. He's like trying to apply that to his shooting. So anyway, I don't have anywhere else to go with it other than just I Would like that Would you say that that's lot. more of an open mindset coming into the classes or something like that? Yeah, that's a good point. I think so. He was like he was very much there to learn. He was willing to try any concept uh yeah that was that was being presented and then he was constantly evaluating am i doing this correctly could i be doing this better uh ben talked to somebody else about having a gun that didn't fit their hand so he asked me he's like does this fit my I'm like, no just ask ben it'll be fine I'm like ben you know this person has a question so then ben you know answers this the question for him because he's always just like constantly thinking yeah somebody else is getting that feedback but could i be doing this better am i paying the most attention could i be seeing my sights better could i be you know looking at a precise spot better he was just like he was extremely engaged the whole time. And I, I like that a lot. It was very noteworthy to me because it's not mm -hmm. something, you know, I feel like that I always see in classes. So, yeah, I, I like that type a lot, too. So uh, 
my class, I think Ben's doing about the similar way. Uh, so the beginning, so day one, it's like shooting fundamentals, and then mm-hmm. we go to target transition, go to movement, and go to more dynamic stuff. And I think people, there, there are definitely people who keep trying to apply uh, each things they learned. Yes. So by the time they're working on, for example, target transition, their shooting fundamentals already improved and applied. So he's learning a lot higher level stuff mm-hmm. rather than people are like kind of lean back and just listen to what the instructors say and not really doing much and not applying it. So when they go to the next level or next category, like shooting fundamentals to target transition, their shooting fundamentals is not applied. So a lot of frustration is usually what I see. People who's more engaged and trying to really apply at the moment, uh, people tend to have less frustration too. Yes, uh, and that, I mean, you brought up a, another good story. It was day two, we were doing a stage, it was, I think it was right before lunch, and, uh, and he's like, he, so he's, he's, asking, he's asking questions like, hey, so should I be shooting this like I was shooting this target? It was reactive shooting on day one. Like, that's the way I shot that drills away. I should be shooting this. So, yes, he's already, like, connecting the dots, paying attention. Yeah. I like that. I like that type of personality a lot. Mm-hmm. Because, like you said, some people are just <laughs> kind of perpetual class takers. I mean, that's cool if that's your thing. But some mm-hmm. people are there for the experience or they're just to shoot and hang out, whatever. But this guy, like, every time Ben's talking, he's paying attention. And then he's trying to, you know, get the very most out of it. He's really engaged the whole time. Anyway, I like that a lot. Okay. Yes. Uh, guys. Got a question? Should yeah, it? it's not spicy. Uh, okay, hello. I have a question involving training. I have found the Dry Fire Reloaded book very useful and improving my skill and practice. Uh, every day I'm off work. I was wondering if you and the crew think a 22 long rifle conversion kit for a stock two would be a reasonable training tool, or would it be silly to buy because it's not mimicking the actual recoil, especially for doubles, which is his weak spot. Uh, only to make it to the range two or three times a month. Limited himself on ammo. Uh, he's uh, feeling the ammo and primer shortage, and he happens to have a lo- large stockpile of 22 long rifle. So, any advice? Uh, Kim will probably just answer it all at once. So let's kick it <laughs> first. I was going. You want me to answer? Yes. Uh, about, should we break this down? So he's got, he's got a couple uh, the 22 trainer kind of makes sense, I guess. Like. Like I, I know we've specifically addressed twenty-two trainers in the past, and everybody's basically consensus was make everything so much harder because there is no recoil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's basically only advice on that I would give. Kim will probably have a much better answer. <laughs> uh, well, how about how about we break it down? What would be a twenty-two conversion kit good for? Because there's things money. That be good for and not good for. I'm sorry, Kim. What'd you say? Save money. Yes. Yeah. That's a plus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're still getting some training. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you're still training. That's good. So you could train everything but recoil control, right? Oh, if you have, a, you have a simulated gun where it fits basically the same holsters. You could do draws. You could do... Uh, I wouldn't do reloads because the mags are bad. Don't simulate the weight or all that. You can tr- simulate transitions. So basically, you could simulate steel challenge <laughs> draws and yes. transitions. Like, yes, like it would be good for that. 
Which, uh, professor, those would translate sorry. over, I would think. Mm-hmm. So this is something I explain in my classes very often. Uh, there's only two things we are not able to do unless we fire the round. Only two okay. things. Everything else you can do it, like, you know, draw a transition like already mentioned, or shooting on the move, uh, recoil management. Most part of the recoil management has to be also done in dry fire too. Mm -hmm. There's two things. One of them is single part of recoil management, which is return part. So there's four, four parts in recoil management, which is, you know, gripping the gun, and the joints, so wrist and uh, elbow, like angles and how you lock them, and the, the stance part. And then the last part is the actual return. When the gun kicks, you need to bring it back or bring, bring it to where you're looking at. So you can still do the first three parts of recoil management, which is gripping properly, uh, joints properly, stance properly. This is something that everybody has to do, either live or dry fire. But again, just the return part is what we cannot do. And if you're shooting 22 caliber, the return part is significantly different than actual 9mm or 40 cal ammo, whatever you shoot. So that's something. And the second part is just not being able to see the holes on the target. So you're not really able to confirm where the bullet actually went to. So those two are the only thing. But 22 will knock out the second part because you can see the holes now. But can you do that with a BB gun? Probably, uh, as long as the BB goes through the target. So since 22 is not realistic uh, recoil, so the return is different, so has BB gun. Uh, the thing is, I would usually recommend people to master the trigger control, uh, both either you know, slapping technique or gradually pulling, whatever the technique you want. Master the trigger control so you know the bullet actually goes when the break, trigger break happens. In that case, if you do, if you have a good killing break and not disturbing the sight, there's no reason to use BB gun or 22. Uh, unless you're maybe shooting like a swinger target or maybe shooting on the move laterally, then you have to track, then the things become a little bit more unpredictable. So unless you're doing those, dry fire is completely good. Uh, there's absolutely you can do most of the things in dry fire except those two things I mentioned about. So in that kind of case, uh, I would recommend people to just save that money to buy that 22 converter kit and the bullets to just get more ammo. I mean, right now, if you are in the US, the ammo is crazy expensive, but I would personally not shoot 22 or BB gun, which I, I actually have them, but I don't train with them. I would just rather spend that money to buy maybe a box of nine mil instead of a thousand rounds of twenty-two. Uh, I like that. So I was actually Ben sent me this question earlier today, or I was like, "Hey, I need a question for tonight." Whatever. Um, I actually sent Ben a similar question a long time ago. I was shooting a CZ at the time, and this was when it was like Ben was just in his in his office with a microphone. It was like practical pistol show, whatever. It was yeah. I don't know a long time ago. Because I was like, I'll be real with you, I was going through the same thing. I was like, hey, I have a bunch of ammo. I already had a cadet because I was shooting an SPO one at the time. I already had a cadet unit. The thing worked like a boss. I have all this 22 ammo. And I was like, what do I do with it? And, uh, of course, Ben gave some good advice, like make the, the target difficulty harder. You know, like one shot per target, I think, is smart. Like you said, firing a pair, like a predictive pair. The gun doesn't recoil. So... 
I mean, like predictive shooting, you don't even really need to grip the gun that hard with your support hand. And I mean, the, the blows are pretty much going to go where you want them to go. Because, uh, you know, it's just, it doesn't have the same kind of recoil. Some things I ran into. Um, combining ammo in the training. So like shooting 22 first a bit and then switching to 9mm or back and forth was an absolute nightmare. So if I shot 9mm, and I was, I don't know, I was okay at the time, maybe B-class, whatever. But shooting 9mm, you get used to the gun going off. And then I switched to 22, and it's like, man, there's nothing to this. It felt so weird. Um, and then if I shot 22 first, I would get used to that. And then switching to 9mm felt like I was switching to, like, this cannon. You know, like some 40 caliber lightweight carry gun with plus P loads. Because the thing was flipping all over the place, and I wasn't used to it. So I felt like if I was going to use a conversion kit or what I did, it had to be one type of ammo at the training session. So it was all 22, all 9mm, no mixing, absolutely non-negotiable for me. Because um, otherwise, it was just, it was a nightmare. It took too long to get used to it. Um, for most of the conversion kits, I feel like the top ends or the slides are aluminum. So there is a little bit of a weight difference, at least for the gun I was using for a cadet. Um, so I think that's noteworthy. And then, again, I'm not saying this because Matt works for CZ. The cadet unit, at least that I used, was awesome. I used that thing for years. I mean, bricks and bricks of ammo, no problems. But some of the other brands that I've seen are finicky. They don't work. There's always tinkering. You have to buy this certain type of 22 ammo that's standard velocity or subsonic or, oh, it only likes mini mags or some garbage that I, I don't know. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have patience for. So I see that as being a concern also. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess after all that rambling, I like I did it for a bit and my I ended up just going back and just doing dry fire with my my proper match gun and then training with the ammo I had when I could because I was on a budget at the time. And looking back, I mean, that was the right play. I I, I just didn't get a lot of value from shooting the 22 and making the, the, the shot difficulty a lot harder or only shooting one per. I just didn't feel like I was getting the same value that I would have got if I was training for, you know, either dry training or proper training for USPSA. Sounds great. Boom. Makes All a right. lot of sense. Try to. Um, like I said, just the, you know, the, the main thing about when you go out and you're firing ammo, the gun kicking really hard, brass shooting all over the place, the the noise, all that stuff is the stuff, you know, that separates one of the things, obviously, live fire from dry fire. And so you can't do something like MXAD where you're, you're shooting six rounds at a close target. You're trying to not get your vision really pulled on the front sight. It's just not going to happen quite the same. You're doing a 22 that doesn't really kick. It's not going to punish you if you have an incorrect grip. So, One thing to mention is actually it took me a while to uh, learn how to dry fire correctly. Mm -hmm. And that dry fire is actually very effective to live fire. So in that sense, uh, if your training is 22 and then also some dry fire, the thing is when you travel or when you are shooting a local match, too. Like when you go to the safety table, oftentimes what you will end up doing is dry fire. And when you make ready, you have a chance to dry fire a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So if your dry fire skill is a lot more realistic, and basically your dry fire is a really good resemblance of live fire, and you develop that skill as soon as possible, uh, I think that's a big advantage. And so spending time in 22 or BB gun uh, may not really effective Unless you your dry fire you mastered your dry fire first, so dry fire master it first. Yeah. 
However, if you uh, you want a different gun to shoot steel challenge or just fun or to have a fun range day or whatever, like the 22 kits are cool. I have no problem with them, but, but for proper USPSA training, uh, I would probably just save the money if it was me. Cool. Yeah. Well, guys, I think this was a bang up podcast, as always. Pretty uh, good. Was it okay, Matt? It was good, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. Listeners. If you have a question you want the answer to, go to my website. It's bensteger.com. <laughs> Send me your question. We'd love to hear from you.